43. A fight was brewing in the room behind the front desk. First it had been loudish murmurs, then an angry argument, and now oh god someone had clearly lost it. The front office clerk rolled his eyes and exhaled huffily. I'm sorry about this ma'am. Some celebrities are temperamental. This one is just mental. I knew of only one celebrity who lived there. There's no way to overstate this. He's a god to me. His mastery over words, plot, story construction, his brilliance in pace and timing, his feather touch on language, mood, emotion. I'd die to write like that. So I hoped and prayed I'd run into him, breathe the same air, walk in the same rooms, exchange a few words with him if I should be so incredibly unbelievably lucky. So I prompted the clerk shamelessly. Do you mean Dara doctor? Is he in there? He saw the eager light burst out of me and wearily leaned on the counter with my key in his hands. Ma'am, better to admire from afar. Even now I advise you to leave. I'll have to charge you a day's room rate, but you'll keep your dreams intact. Go away now. I beg you, ma'am, take your bag, turn around and run. I stared at him, outraged, as the door behind him burst open and Dara doctor strode out, red-faced, disheveled, and recognizable from his publicity stills only by his trademark Panama hat clutched in his fist. He barreled past me in a white fury, still yelling over his shoulder. If it doesn't bother me, why the bleeding hell should it bother you? I'm not moving, and you better not touch a single thing in there as long as I'm alive or I'll crucify you and your dump of a hotel. Do your worst, you bloody incompetent, illiterate, good for nothing toad. He disappeared into the lift. And I turned back to catch the front desk man in hurried discussion with the manager. The older man approached me with an ingratiating smile. My regrets, madam, but geniuses will be geniuses. Mr. Doctor was upset, and when he's upset, he lets us know it. Please join me in the downstairs bar for a complimentary drink. He indicated a stained glass door adorned with the simple sign downstairs. But drinks at 11 a.m. were a bit much and I demurred and hefted my backpack to my room on the second floor. The hotel was built around a courtyard and creepers fell over the balconies from level to level trailing green and pink and white abundance. My room was 25. I had to pass 23. The whole world knew his was 43 i stood foolishly gazing at that door for ages and scooted off to my own room still fluttering with delight i unpacked and bathed chose a summery dress and thin soled sandals it was lunch time the rooftop restaurant would be ideal i thought but first i slipped up the stairs to the fourth floor stealthily Guiltily, I approached forty-three. I walked past, three or four times, to be honest, but I couldn't hear his typewriter 
or his snoring, both of which I'd read much about. I was searingly disappointed. Eventually, I went on up to the restaurant. Stained glass door, helpfully labelled, upstairs. It opened onto a terrace, half canopied, half open to the cloudless blue sky. At the far end of the bamboo bar, slumped, Dara Doctor. Everything else immediately retreated into a haze. I fluttered, undecided, until a waiter suggested I take a seat at the bar. I clambered onto the high stool and looked up straight into the steady gaze of Dara Doctor himself. He raised his glass at me, and I didn't have a glass yet, so I just waved, trying to be casual. My tongue didn't loll out and unfurl across the countertop, so it can't have been too bad. The big man got off his stool, I noticed, while pretending I wasn't noticing, and almost had me falling off mine when he settled beside me. I saw you downstairs, he said. How long are you staying? Normally, that would be an inappropriate question. But this was Dara, doctor. So I spluttered out, Four nights. I leave on Tuesday. He introduced himself, as if I didn't know who he was, and I took the cue to give him my name. He asked if I was a fan, and I blushingly admitted I was. He asked me to name my favourite book and promised me a signed copy and I half died with delight. I confessed I was a struggling author myself, not published as yet. But I assured him I didn't have a manuscript for him. And he roared with laughter, throwing back his head and wavy hair. He vowed he liked me already. I have to admit, I liked him too. He was so charming really listening and interested in what I said. Not at all smarmy, none of that Lothario stuff, though his reputation was rampant. Suddenly, he thumped the counter and apologised for keeping me talking and not taking me around the town. There wasn't much to see, a few churches, nice enough if not glorious. But the town was quaint and the beaches pristine. And that's how, for the next few days, Dara Doctor, adored across continents, became my personal tour guide. I couldn't believe this was my life. Yesterday, I'd been a nondescript drudge in a soulless city office. Today, I was sipping cocktails and exchanging trivialities on a sunny rooftop with Dara Doctor. I couldn't even have dreamt up something so wild. We went everywhere and saw everything, but often we just sat in cafes and people watched. Tourists came up and he obligingly autographed their books and endured their selfies. He was urbane and witty, but also, astoundingly, vulnerable, confessing his creative frustrations. To hear him speak, you'd never know he was a literary god. You'd think he was still struggling, like me. That stunned me. I couldn't believe that world-famous authors had the same problems I had. It was disarming. I learned what the tantrum that first day had been about. It seemed the hotel was planning a revamp, 
and he didn't want his room done. It was a running battle since the day the do-over had been mooted. He wasn't going to move out. Didn't want his room painted or the furniture changed. His room wasn't to be touched and that was it. Stubborn and immovable. My four days ran out quickly and the trip was almost over. The last night, in a corner under the stars on the rooftop, with only a faint breeze to shift the gloom of impending departure and the end of this amazing interlude, and perhaps under the effect of my small drink, I blurted out, How is it that you've adopted me like a stray and been so unfailingly good to me when I know you have the temper of a tyrant? He stared at me long and hard before replying. You're a struggling author, but you haven't shown me a written scrap and asked my opinion of it. In four days, you haven't requested a single autograph, photograph or selfie. You're a stray that deserves to be adopted. So now you tell me, why did you adopt me? I'm an old war horse with a formidable temper, as you say. You're a young and pretty girl on a short holiday in a sun-drenched beach town. Why would you waste your precious time on me? I was gobsmacked by his humility. He must have seen it because he tossed his head and hair back in that boyish way he had and laughed and laughed and laughed. Until suddenly and without any indication, he put his head down on his hands and sobbed. It threw me. I didn't know what to do. Should I offer comfort? Was it a ploy? But the man was evidently wretched. And so, I waited, out of common human decency. I stayed motionless as he leaned back and looked off into the darkness. I can't leave that room, he muttered. I know it sounds crazy, but I cannot leave. That ridiculous room is the true font. The plumbing doesn't work, the air conditioning spews hot air, the bed sags, the windows don't shut, or if they do, they don't open, the carpet is threadbare, but it's the only place I can produce anything decent. They can mess me up as much as they like, but they can't mess with my work. That's my legacy. I have a name and a reputation and a madly loyal fan base. If staying in that room till it falls apart is the only way, then that's what I must do. His voice fell from the crescendo to a long silence, and we sat quietly, wrapped in the sultry night and our own thoughts. I knew he'd been drinking excessively that day, even by his own outrageous standards. But I wasn't his nanny. If he chose to kill himself with drink, then that would be his own call, not that of present member of loyal fan base. The words tumbled out through his thin lips and attacked me viciously. I don't know why I'm telling you this. I know you're crazy about my books and it's wrong to disillusion you. But the plain truth is, I don't write those books you admire so much. They're ghost-written. I get the credit, the money and the adulation that comes with them, but no satisfaction because it's not my work. They're literally written by a ghost. Don't go. 
please stay and listen. This as I pushed back my chair to leave. He was obviously too much the worse for drink to be in his senses. I'm not off my rocker. Have you read my early works? Hamfisted, huh? And then I landed in this godforsaken hole of a hotel and this mangy corner room and something changed. Nobody knows what, not even I. I just type up my text and leave it in the typewriter overnight. It doesn't work if I write elsewhere or if I use a computer or write by hand. My ghostwriter won't touch that output. But leave the last sheet in the manual typewriter overnight on the desk in 43 and by morning it's transformed i sat silent what was there to say i've tried to figure out who it is the closest i can get is a lawyer but no author folks say they hear my typewriter clacking all hours of the night while i'm fast asleep or wide awake and watchful but nothing's going on inside the room that i can see or hear it sounds crazy but i've concluded it's a ghost who wants to write and is using me so i must protect him however mad that sounds that's why i'm not letting them in over my dead body i've said i've been on this escapade with you but tomorrow i'm back at my desk and soon the current book will be done Let's see how much longer I can hold them off. Maybe I can squeeze out another book. That's the impossible truth. And now I've got it off my chest. You can go, girl. I know you'll never repeat it. Who'd believe such a mad story? Go, leave. I got up and left as directed. Next morning, I had a solitary breakfast. I checked out at the front desk where I was given a brown paper parcel. from mr doctor i was informed i thrust it into my bag requesting them to pass on my thanks it turned out to be the books he'd promised in thanks for your kindness your generosity of spirit and the joy in your shining youth which you shared with me for a few days i noticed it was handwritten not typed that was 2 years ago His book was published and ripped the charts like a tornado. But the next one, his last, bombed, and the critics banned it mercilessly. It started out strong, they said, but petered out in a most unlikely fashion. I didn't have the heart to read it. His obituary was in the papers a week later, and I wept for him. I remember his anguish how the words were wrung out of him how he couldn't face me and hid himself away seeking refuge in work that brought him no joy I remember his happy spirit his roaring laugh his funny stories his shrewd observations and his wretched despair I remember them all And then last week as I sat struggling to convey my thoughts effectively into words A message popped up on my computer. The ramshackle old hotel had been restored and there was to be a grand reopening and former guests were invited back with an inaugural discount. So I'm here now, lugging my belongings along the corridors, still dappled in the light filtering through the pink and white creepers 
Pictures of Dara Doctor hang everywhere, in the lobby, in the corridors, and naturally here in his very own sanctum. Under his watchful eye, I place my new manual typewriter ceremoniously on the writing desk. I still have to get used to it. I feed in a fresh sheet of paper even before I unpack. Let's see if 43 can work its magic for me.